This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to Green Trails, a new podcast by The Straits Times that is part of our Green Pulse channel. I'm Ang Ting. In Green Trails, we explore nature spaces in Singapore on the ground with those who know them well. In this episode, we will be joining the Bird Society of Singapore, a group of bird enthusiasts promoting the conservation and research of the island's birds. The freshly minted society was formally launched on August 27th. Society President Keita and Vice President Movin will be taking us on a walk at Crunchy Marshes. The rustic park in northwestern Singapore is home to more than 170 species of birds. It is also one of the largest freshwater marshes in Singapore. Oh, so hi Keita, I'm Movin. It's 7.42am in the morning here. Thanks for bringing us along to our first green trail. So maybe you can just um, introduce yourselves. Uh, thanks for having us along. I am Keita, the President of the Bird Society of Singapore. Hi, um, yeah, thanks for having us on this thing. And um, I'm Movin, I'm the Vice President of the Bird Society of Singapore. Cool, so let's dive right in to take a closer look at Crunchy Marshes. So have you seen any cool things yet on the way in or like along? Um, usually during the migration season, things like flycatchers can show up along this path. It's about one kilometer to the heights inside. Um, otherwise, the, the birds that you hear right now, okay, it's a bit hard to see, but there's this high-pitched squeaking sound and a separate, more rattling call, which is the golden-backed weaver. Um, it's an introduced species, so it's not native to Singapore, and it's been kind of chasing out the native similar species called the Baya Weaver away, and it's a bit worrying. Uh. Right, is it, is it usually like high up in the trees? Or uh, like... High up in the trees, or if you go to the height, we might see them it's the nest. better. So the nest in this kind of like reedy area above water bodies. So yeah, there's been a correlation in that we are seeing an increase in the golden black weavers and a decrease in the Baya weavers. So we suspect that it's related, lah, but we don't have any hard evidence. The reason why it's problematic is number one, because the native biodiversity gets lost because of these potential competitions. And the second thing that we are worried about is if the golden black weaver eventually spreads out of Singapore, um, it's going to affect the Baya weavers in the region. It's not just going to be a Singapore-centric problem anymore. So like, if nothing is done to tackle this issue and eventually they expand beyond the nation, it's gonna be probably game over. Yeah, because I mean birds don't need passports to go and or to go through checkpoints, right? They can just fly over anywhere they want. And Malaysia is truly not that far. Neither is Indonesia in the south. So really, if they get there and they start pushing out the native birds, then where do they go, right? But where did these birds come from? Is it like pet trade or other reasons? Like how did they even arrive in Singapore if they're non-native? Most of them are likely to be escapes from the pet trade. So brought in as cage birds. Some of them got out or they might have been released. We don't know. And if there's big enough a number, that's the first criterion. And second thing, if the environment is suited for them, they start breeding, they start expanding, the numbers increase. Um, there's a lot about invasion biology that's so 
stochastic that we don't really know. Some of them, the numbers increase and then suddenly the population crash. Uh, some of them, the numbers increase, but they are outcompeted by other non-native stuff, so like common minor in Singapore. Um, in the case of the golden back weavers, we've been seeing an increase so far that don't seem to be dropping yet. So... And they get moving around Singapore, that's the other worrying thing. Yeah. Mm, which they're parts of Singapore? Are they found everywhere or is it just no. like... So there's over here, Kranji Marshes, there's Lorong Halus, and there are some small numbers around Tampanese Eco Green. There are still some other sites that are suitable for them that they haven't, I guess, colonised yet. So that's the good news for now. But we don't know how long that will hold up for. Mm, and how do you stop... I mean, I guess because birds don't need passports and they can fly everywhere, mm. right? So how do you stop them from spreading? Uh, first step is don't release. <laughs> okay. In the first place, right? Step two is like, um, it really depends. Because control, I mean like people have seen things like, you know, like the parakeets being trapped or the miners being trapped for like, just control like in urban areas, right? As a means of like reducing urban noise or like reducing disturbance in these spaces. And like uh, the same principle can be applied to non-native things as well. Like if you see them established, you see a big colony of them, then you just like take and remove them, you know? So like, yeah, some people might say it's, it's more cruel, but like, I mean, it's like for me it's kind of like a difficult thing to, to, to navigate yeah but as I, was, as I was saying so like one the first way is to just not release anything right and so like what you can do is you can have laws or you can have education and you can have sort of like things like that to convince people like hey it's a bad idea to like be releasing stuff or letting stuff go um, the other thing that you can do is that once you see things out is that you'd want to like actually do a control you want to remove it as soon as possible because once you see the nest being there then you're like okay you know what this might become a problem so it's probably for the best that we just remove them right now and not give them a chance to establish and and that is actually the parakeet that they removed the oh, one all the way on top what's that just flew? Ah, oh that's an oreo yeah black nip oreo the oh, yellow bird okay it looked uh, yeah the one i can see in bishan park what's that on the tree it's a parakeet yeah that's a, a red-breasted red parakeet. Red parakeet so it's also non-native they are native to Thailand and Java uh, in Indonesia. And I think in Singapore, we get a mix of both of the subspecies that have been released or escaped. They are very, very common in the pet trade. So the ones in Chachukang, it's dead times 200. <laughs> Maybe 1,000. Oh, right, times 1,000. Yeah. Yeah. Why do people like to keep them? I mean, they all know, happen to know what makes them so I think parrots are charismatic. They're smart, they can interact with you, and like, People think of it as like a less less of a commitment than a dog, which it's not, uh, because parrots are smart, and they are naughty, and they can get up to rubbish, right? So like, and they live for very long. And they live for really, really long. So oh, dogs, is it? How long? yeah, uh, like in captivity, macaws can go up to like 60, 70. There years are records ago. of macaws living up to ninety years in captivity. Ninety. Ninety yeah. years. <laughs> wow. It's like older than like. So the odor might just die and then the, yeah, exactly. the bird lives exactly. on. Just exactly. It's a huge problem. So it's not a case of like a dog or a cat where like, you know, you have... Like if you're 15 or 20 years, it's already exceptional. You know what I mean? But a parrot, 20 years is like way, way, way below average. But like a, like a large macaw or a cockatoo. Oh, I never knew that. Like, fun fact. Oh, yeah, they're from, smart. Sorry, and they're me. smart on top of that, which is a problem. Because they can get up with so much rubbish. And because like parrots often, right, because they're so smart um, and because they 
can develop their own personalities and they can feel things like, I mean, it seems like they can feel things like jealousy and wanting attention and things like that. So like, of course, when you have something that can do all of these things, right, it makes handling them much more complicated. So if you have multiple parrots, you could end up with politics. Yeah. Politics? Yeah, like the Parrot parrots, politics. like some parrots are like, oh, I want to be the favourite, I want to be mum's favourite. Then I'm going to beat all the other parrots until, because I think mum paid attention to them, you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So, so, so like the parakeets in Singapore have like gang fights then? Uh, in well, sense. in the wild, not so much, right? Because they're in the wild, there's no human beings involved in that to like, sort of like show favouritism. What was that? There was the... There was the quail. Ah, uh, the uber. Uber, yeah. <laughs> the uber, yes. Kita, could you share me like what makes Crunchy Marshes so unique for bird watchers in Singapore? I think the habitat in Crunchy Marshes is one of the draws. Uh, it's a marshy area with... Uh, secondary woodland that leads up to it. And this sort of marshy habitat is quite rare in Singapore today. So quite a few species that you wouldn't be able to see elsewhere, such as um, the rare residents like white-browed crake, greater painted snipe, are birds that people come here to look for. Cool. So I guess, I mean, let's dive right into where you guys are from. So, I mean, for those who have casually Googled birds in Singapore, like me, on the internet, you probably have chance to cross the Singapore Birds Project, which the society began as. So given that the project has been around in the last seven years, why launch a society? Maybe move in, you can... Mm, okay, so I think the Birds Project was always sort of like a collective collection of individuals who's really, really interested in, in birds and sharing that knowledge and making sure that it was accessible. But then as we got more experience and gained more capacity, I think, it became more interesting for us to want to do more than that as well. So things like wanting to do walks, wanting to collaborate with people and organizations. And one thing we realized quite early on is that organizations are much, much more willing to collaborate with a society or an organized group, you know, rather than just a collection of individuals, which is basically what the project would seem like to outsiders, right? And so that's kind of why we decided like, hey, it's time to sort of formalize this thing and go in a society direction because then that expands the sort of range of things that we can do and are accessible to us as well. Anyway, I mean, just now you talked a bit about research. Is there anything that you can share with me now? Like, what are you researching about? One of the things that we are looking at is um, the non-native species in Singapore. So we want to compile the list of all of the non-native birds that have been seen here and potentially find out which are the ones that might be breeding, uh, try to find out their trends, whether they've been increasing or decreasing. This is something that has been uh, looked at slightly in the local scene, but not really in depth. And that's one of those that we are very keen on. And for some things, based on the number of records, we can document really well as when a bird went extinct in Singapore. So things like Scarlet Minivet, there used to be a flock of them in the 90s uh, and the early 2000s in, in Bukitima. And it slowly, slowly, slowly went down in numbers from four to two to one. And then it's disappeared. We know that the bird went extinct as a breeder in Singapore. The bird has come back recently, like in a sense, like it's been seen recently in Singapore, but not in one of the forest reserves. And it's just a single bird. And we know because the population in Singapore disappeared, that this isn't like part of the original population. It's most likely a visitor from Malaysia. And so this is, imp and, and like on the surface, it seems like, oh, this is just really fun things to know, but it doesn't really seem that important. But I'll tell you why it is. And that's because when we're deciding on who we want to prioritize for conservation, right? Conservation resources are limited. Money is a single, it's, there's a bucket of money and you want to spread it out to maximize the effect. 
if I just go by rarity, right? Like, who's the rarest? The Scarlet Minivet might meet that. Because it's super rare, right? Like, we see it once in a while, and there's this individual bird that came in and disappeared. Super rare. The gut... The gut... Like, the first thing you might want to do is like, oh, this is a priority bird. Because it's so rare. But there's no population in Singapore to save. So there's no way to do any interventions to bring it back or like save the species as it is here. But things that are maybe a little bit more common but are doing poorly, those are the things that you kind of want to prioritize and put resources into because they actually have a chance of rebounding. So having a sense of knowing what is around and what's not around and what was around but just comes back once in a while as a visitor is useful and records keeping is an important crucial part of that. Cool. I mean... Oh, you guys know a lot about birds, but I'm gonna like just roll back the time. Like, so when did it all start for you? Like, personally, why did you all get involved in like what bird watching and knowing more about birds? Maybe we can start with Kida. So for me, it was in 2014 where I kind of just impulsively went to West Coast Park for bird watching because I was unable to sleep that night for some reason, and <laughs> I just came back from a vacation trip to Japan where I had a chance to go to a bird park and I had like a lot of fun. And so I wasn't able to sleep. I was just randomly scrolling through my phone, searching like birds of Singapore. And there was this photo of a stock-built kingfisher, which is a very colorful bird. Bright red beak, yellow body, blue wings. And I'm like, wow, I can see this in Singapore. That's ridiculous. And I just went out to West Coast Park. And it kind of just spiraled down from there. Or spiraled up, I don't know. And eventually, I think in 2016, after joining uni, we kind of met... And we started going overseas more together, which is where, at least personally, I became super interested in bird watching, not just in Singapore, but also globally, and wanting to see as much as I can and learn as much as I can. Uh, I met Movin and mm-hmm. a bunch of other of the founding members of the Bird Society, and we started going overseas a little bit more, exploring Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, starting from the region. And I think that's when personally I got more interested in learning about the birds not just in Singapore but the region and also wanting to see as many as I can okay, is there any like I guess highlight of a bird that both of you have seen together that so during our first trip to Taman Nagara together that was back in 2016 right 17 2017 uh, we were there for what, 9 days 9 days just overkill but anyway we were there for 9 days straight and one of the birds that we really wanted to see was the Ganat Pita and it's quite a common bird in Tamanagara, but it's very, very difficult to see. It likes the tawniest of places. The bird is calling right there, but if you want to see it, you have to plow through the thorns and go through a lot of pain to see the bird. And we chased the bird for three, four days. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. We eventually saw it after a lot of blood, sweat and tears, literally, quite literally. Um, a plus bird though <laughs> Yeah That was one of the The very defining moments Of our Taman Nagara trip And there's this other species Called the banded pita Oh my god Which, which he hasn't seen yet Which is bird. also quite uh, I think it's fair to say It's relatively common In Malaysia right? Yeah uh, You hear it a lot But it's very very difficult to see And we spent The rest of our trip So like five days Chasing after this one Dumb bird That caused Wow yeah. Really, it sounds really? like that. It goes, wow! Yeah. <laughs> we, we were chasing after it for five plus days, but we couldn't yeah. see it at all. And, and, and so there's three species of bandit pita. There's one in Borneo, there's one in Java, and there's one in Malaysia. 
And like the most annoying thing is I've seen the Bonnier one, I've seen the Javan one, and I have not seen the Malaysian one, which is like the nearest one. So I mean, knowing so much about birds, is there any like common myth in Singapore that you hear like the p- members of public always saying about birds that um, really gets to you and you want to debunk? Mm. Okay, so basically I was going to say, this is going to be a little bit of a long spiel, but like a lot of times I hear people saying like, oh, why are we so bad to non-native species? They're just like us. We're all immigrants to Singapore. So then why are we so bad to them? Um, But like, you know, the context is different. First of all, they're not people, they're animals. Uh, Second of all, they're brought here and um, it's not their fault. It's true, it's not their fault that they're destroying the environment or pushing something else. But like, it's our own fault for bringing it here. So we kind of need to fix that as well, right? And there's always this, this, this sort of tension between like, yeah, we could be kind to the non-native species and let them proliferate and and push out all of the other native stuff but then who's there to care for the native stuff that was here before right and oftentimes native stuff is here and it isn't in many other places you know what i mean so there is sort of a preciousness to them that we need to sort of cherish and i think that's that's my spiel okay Yeah, so I guess because uh, the question being that like over the past decade, I mean, there's been more developments that have fragmented nature spaces and going forward, there'll be even more. So is there like anything that you hope to see more for conservation in Singapore? So one of the most important things I think would be to make sure that spaces in Singapore are properly prioritised. There are certain, say, forest fragments with similar assemblage. If one has to be developed, it doesn't really make sense um, for us conservationists to say, no, you can't develop it. We have to protect both. I think it's a reality in Singapore that development is happening. We need it as a nation. And that's exactly why we need to say, okay, these spaces, yeah, maybe you can sacrifice them. These other places, I think we should keep them intact. And having proper prioritization is something that we haven't really been seeing well, at least in the the bird side uh, of conservation in Singapore. So that's one of the things I think would be important. Yes. Additionally, there are other problems such as, you know, the non-native stuff that we talked about. Nothing really has been done to tackle this issue, at least for birds. That's something that we are hoping could be addressed because, number one, it affects the native biodiversity in Singapore. Number two, if it gets out of Singapore, then it's really game over. Then it affects the native biodiversity outside of Singapore. The whole region will be affected. And it kind of looks bad, right? It looks bad if it's like, oh, actually these birds escaped from Singapore and then travel around the region and like wrecked everything. Yeah. It's like, that's not a story we want to have. Yeah. So we are in a position where we can really stop these things from happening and we have to. Uh. There are also other issues, you know, such as fragmentation. So for some of the birds that I think Movin talked about earlier on that are still in Singapore but are quite rare. So things like short-tailed babbler, chestnut-winged babbler, these are birds that are found in the central catchment. They are around, but the populations are not doing well. They are fragmented. All you need is one road. They can't cross that road and the populations will be divided. These are some of the issues that are, I guess they are very difficult to tackle because you can't just say, get rid of the road and build a forest there. Um, But at the same time, whether the resources to say, do things like translocation is worth it or not, these are things that haven't really been evaluated. So it's it's going to be a very con- uh, challenging conservation problem, I think, at least for fragmentation and how it's going to be tackled. Yeah, and, and connectivity and how do we make connectivity meaningful, yeah. right? 
like it's not just about building corridors adjacent, but like we know that some birds need certain types of forests. So how do we mimic these conditions in these like regrowth forests or these much younger forests that are not necessarily suitable for many species? Well, yeah, I guess it's coming. I guess, we, I guess we can end off on this note, which is about non-native species. And you mentioned that um, it would be it would not be nice if it spreads to the rest of the region. Are there any like what are the few birds or, like top five birds or three or two or one that um. That, that haven't spread. That haven't spread. That we that you hope will don't. Be, that don't, don't. Yeah. Okay. Monk parakeet. Monk parakeet. Would be the yeah. first one, I think. So, the monk parakeet is a species that you can see in mostly the eastern part of Singapore. Uh, these are non-native, and they they build massive, massive nests. Colonial nests. It's really like like BTO like that, you know, <laughs> like a huge clump of twigs on a a light platform in Pongo and their nests can actually cause infrastructural problems which is of course like worrying because we don't want our lampposts falling off the people right that and they can also damage crops so if it spreads out of Singapore to Malaysia number one I think there are probably more available nesting sites in Malaysia than there are in Singapore yeah. just based on their cityscape and the damage to crops would definitely be bigger there yeah. than over here and also in parts of Arizona and the US right they actually have damaged power lines because they, they their nests are so heavy that you can bring them down sometimes our power lines are underground not everyone has underground power lines right so that could be a potential problem as well they've been around for more than 10 years I think so I think in one of the articles in uh, Bird Ecology Study Group it was written by the late Subaraj, if I'm not wrong. Mm. He did warn that it was going to be an issue. Unfortunately, nothing was done, and we do know that the numbers seem to be increasing, seem to be spreading across Singapore. So it's not a recent issue, which is even but, more problematic. But, but you know, these things, the problem with these things is that they increase in problem and number exponentially. So you start off small, and you're like, this is not a problem, this is not a problem, this, is not a problem. this doesn't really feel like a problem. But when it becomes a problem, it really becomes a problem really fast. So like... The, the thing is, in Singapore, we are also in this really unique situation where we're a trade hub. We see a lot of these things, right? We're starting to get to the point where like, hey, we're seeing a lot of these things, but we're not entirely sure if they're going to be problems or not. But of course, we also don't want to wait so long that like, you know, that they do become problems. They all become problems at once, you know. But at the same time, you also don't want to overcorrect early, right? Resources are precious. You don't want to expend them just willy-nilly, like, fighting small fires that never amount to anything. So I think more research needs to be done on, like, what the impacts of these things are and how to sort of, like, track, is this going to become a problem? Yeah. Like, what are the signs? Thanks so much for joining us in today's podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. And, 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 and thanks for, like, like, making this whole thing happen where we managed to go on a walk with you guys. I think that was pretty fun. Yeah, it was really exciting to be able to share, you know, our our expertise about birds. Hopefully more people will be interested in birds uh, after listening to our podcast. Mm. Uh, and, you know, if there's ever anything about birds that you want to find out, feel free to get in touch with us. You can also take a look at our socials, our website as well, singaporebirds.com. Uh, that's the website where you can find information about every species in Singapore's checklist. See, he is the details person, right? He's the details person. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. 
Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.